And uh, our hope in this series is to explore the apologetics of the Christian faith. That sounds very grand, doesn't it? But it's basically to say, if we're honest, here in this room, we've all got questions. And the journey of faith is a journey where we will always have those questions, I believe, uh, until heaven. But they're part of the journey. And uh, the more of them that we can answer with one another's help, the better. But it is a journey of mystery often, isn't it, as well? And uh, as Rob said, a journey where we can uh, be rerouted by God, where we don't have to go back to the beginning, where actually he can pick us up where we left off, which I, uh, I think is really helpful. I can't quite see the monitor, so I'm just going to use that. Uh, so today we're looking at why is Christianity so restrictive? So if you do see Christianity maybe as a bit of a rule book faith, if you see it as something a bit legalistic or restrictive, and many, many people do, why is that? Why do we, as Rob said, have that view of the gospel, that it's rule book, that it's a moral tightrope, that all of us will fall off at one point? Why do we, where do we get that from? And actually, many times, certainly for me growing up, that was the message. Are you good enough for God? Or are you actually somebody who's not good enough for church, not good enough for God? And so that gets into our psyche. It gets into our thinking about the Christian faith. Where's the gospel? And I hope in the next few minutes to share actually around God's word, how different the gospel actually is to that. So why is Christianity restrictive if indeed it is? I'm going to tell you a little story. Some of you will know this story. It's not my story. It's by the lovely Tony Campolo. And uh, he tells the story of duck church, if you can imagine. And the ducks all waddle into church, uh, as they do every Sunday, apparently, in this story. And there is a duck pastor at the front. And the duck pastor is really sharing the good news with these ducks. And he says, guys, there's amazing news that none of us knew before. Amazing news. Every single one of us can fly. And the ducks think this is the best news ever, and they're high fiving each other if ducks do that, and maybe embellishing, I don't know. Uh, but they're celebrating, celebrating this duck freedom that they have. And then the strap line of his story, if any of you know it, is and then they all waddle out of church again. In other words, we have a gospel that says you and I can be free, free of our past, free of our thought life, free of some of our addictions. We can and have a gospel of freedom, and yet we still waddle around with the weight of our sin, with the weight of the fact that we feel perhaps not quite good enough all of the time, many of us. And actually, this gospel that Jesus Christ came to share was one that said, I've come to set you free. So we're going to explore that a little bit. Uh, But before we do, I read this just in a social article a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was quite interesting as we explore this. In many areas of life, freedom is not so much an absence of restrictions as finding the right ones. The liberating restrictions, those that fit with the reality of our nature and the world and produce greater power and scope for our abilities and a deeper joy and fulfillment. You could almost take that and say, well, isn't that a little bit like Jesus was saying? Isn't that a little bit like Moses being given the law? Because we have rules, yes. But if you look at them, if we examine them, if we get into some of the scriptures, we will find that God's heart has always been for our good, 
just as you parents and some of you being celebrated today brilliantly but as a parent will teach a child the word hot probably before most other things because they don't want them to get burned so a loving father wants us to know what will burn us what will hurt us what will harm us what will restrict us even and I wonder if you could go back with me to the very beginning of scripture if you know it doesn't matter if you don't but there was Adam and Eve in the garden and you may think this actually happened or you may have a different belief Uh, to that but certainly in this we hear that it was paradise that what Adam and Eve were given was beauty was creation was lavish and they were given one another to enjoy man and woman they were given this beautiful garden and God said enjoy it enjoy me enjoy one another enjoy intimacy there's only one thing you can't do and that's eat from that tree the tree of the fruit of knowledge so Being human, what did they obsess about? The tree. It's the tree that they wanted to taste from. And we won't go into the ins and outs of who was wrong on that. But something went wrong that actually a flaw got into humanity that said we know better than God. And ever since that, our world has been broken. Ever since man thought he knew better than God, and I think we live in a day where perhaps that's true a lot of the time, there has been pain, there has been suffering, there has been, if you like, selfishness, because Adam and Eve thought they knew better. But also God gave them a free world with one restriction. And I think in that we see just how much God's love, actually he wanted to lavish that love on us. I remember as a non-Christian reading the verse for the first time where Jesus says I have come that you might have life life in all its abundance and it just blew my socks off because I thought oh I thought he'd come to give me quite a tough time and actually to know that a God had come to give us abundant life abundant freedom is an amazing thing many of you might be able to recite the Ten Commandments you'll be relieved we're not going to do a test right now but I get most of us could probably get to about three couldn't we even if we look at law in the land we kind of know that some of our laws are built on these but I only found out a couple of weeks ago and this might disappoint you as a pastor I don't know but I only really reckoned with the verse that comes before the Ten Commandments for the first time because God before anything says this I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery and he says that before he gives us the rules does that make sense so in other words he says "Um, guys I'm on your side I am for your good I'm your rescuer and I've brought you out of slavery and here's some rules that are going to make life better But the first thing he says is, I am for your freedom. Don't run back to it. Don't run back to slavery because I'm for it. And when I discovered that, I thought, oh, that makes so much more sense. That the commandments he's given us and the first few commandments in Exodus are about honouring God. And the second few commandments are about loving each other. And you might say, well, why does Jesus come and change it all? But actually, Jesus came to fulfill that law when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. He was, if you like, emphatically coming as an embodiment of that love, that freedom that we can have in Jesus. And I wonder if you, if you know your Bible at all and you think about comparisons that Jesus Christ made with the gospel. Did he say, my father's house is like a rule book, my father's house is like a moral tightrope, the kingdom of heaven is like that? No, he said, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, it's like a party. 
It's like a banquet. So of all the comparisons that he could have made, that is the thing. Beforehand, he says, if you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like this. He says, blessed is the man who will eat the feast in the kingdom of God. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. The story of the great banquet is a story that Jesus told in Luke. And he tells the story of everyone having been invited. And it's a story of excuses. It's a story of people saying, I'm too busy. Money is too important to me to attend. My business is too important to me. My friends, my relationship, my marriage even. And there are different excuses that Jesus says people will give so that they miss out on the banquet. And yet everyone has been invited. This is an inclusive gospel that we have. And actually when people refuse this amazing invitation, the master in the story that Jesus tells says, we'll just go out and, and let anyone come in. We want everyone to know this gospel. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Daniel Strickland's writing and speaking, but uh, we will hear her speaking tomorrow night, actually, uh, via a screen uh, at the Leadership Forum, um, if you're going to that. But one of the things that she talks about that really, really inspires me is her street ministry, uh, where on the streets where she was working uh, in Canada, uh, she worked with some very, very abused people, some people who had lived through abuse in marriage, who had been rescued from slavery, and she was working with them on the streets, and two of them met and fell in love, uh, and they hadn't really got particular family. They wanted to have a wedding on the streets where the two of them had met, and they wanted the money for that to go to food for the homeless and for people there on the streets. And so they set up this wedding and she actually officiates at it, at this wedding of this, this man and woman who want to say, here is a party for our friends here on the streets. And she's doing the ceremony, she's about part way through when a dumpster, which is sort of American Canadian for a wheelie bin, I guess, um, pops up and a head comes out. And the guy sees that this incredible wedding in the middle of a ceremony is going on and he does what probably most of us would all do. He goes, oh, sorry, and puts his head back down again because he thinks wrong place, wrong time. You know, it's awkward. I've just popped up in the middle of a ceremony, not invited, head down. Now, Danielle Strickland, being who she is, walks over at the end of the ceremony, bangs on the, uh, on the dumpster, and up he pops. And he comes up and she says, you need to get yourself out here. There's free food, there's dancing, and it's for you. And he cannot believe that this invitation is for him. But he climbs out and uh, he gets involved and uh, has a, a good feed at this party. And when she told that story, it just really touched my heart because I think that is, for me, the gospel that Jesus is sharing here. That actually the reason he shares a great banquet story is because he wants us to know that actually all are invited and the gospel is good news. When we say, have we got good news for you? We believe that we have. And that picture may be for you today. You may maybe feel a bit outside looking in. Maybe you're enjoying church, maybe you're not. Maybe you can't wait to get to coffee. I don't know. But there's a sense of all of us know that we've lived in that dumpster, if we're honest. The weight of our own shame, the weight of our own sin. Maybe feeling excluded, maybe feeling church doesn't fit me or I don't fit church. I certainly felt that growing up. I thought, I am not very like Rob. I thought, I'm not a fit for church. But I've realised that church is a fit for all of us. 
There should not be such a thing as whether we fit or not. We should all fit. Church is not a jigsaw puzzle. It's a a broken mosaic, isn't it? Of little chips of different, different pieces of alabaster or pieces of uh, pottery that come together beautifully. We're broken. We don't fit. None of us really fit. But under God's, God's grace, all of us have a place. All of us can find a place in him. Galatians 5 verses 1 and 2 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. If you are a Christian today or you're someone who perhaps once believed, I think these verses give us great hope. Because it may be that you say, well, do you know, I used to know this freedom, but I've walked away from it. Or, I know that I walk in this freedom, but there's a chain around me. A chain of shame, a chain of something that you only know that is there. But in Galatians, we hear the Apostle Paul saying, don't go back to that. Whatever you do, stay known that you are forgiven. And even as we take communion in a few minutes' time, that is a way of remembering that the dumpster truck is up, the lid's up, and you're invited. You're invited to say, I know I've got things wrong, but this love, this grace, this mercy is for me. That Jesus Christ died so that actually that sin could be wiped clean and that our sins could be completely eradicated by that grace and mercy. Why? Because he knew the Father's love for us. He knew that actually his very name means rescuer. Jesus' name is rescuer, rescuing all of us, saviour, rescuing us from slavery. God gave the law to reveal his standard of absolute righteousness, to convict us all of our true guilt before him, so that we could see our need for the good news of the gospel. It's a really, really helpful way, I think, of unpacking this. That actually when we see the law of God, we know that none of us could stand. Even the Ten Commandments, we've broken them, haven't we? We know that there are some, maybe we might have got a few that we haven't, but most of them we will have broken. So actually none of us could stand if it was about our righteousness. But Jesus says it's not about that anymore. It was for freedom that Jesus came. We have MIF small groups, uh, small groups for our, our kind of MIF girls and boys who are in our youth groups between the age of 15 and 18. And uh, they were discussing a Bible passage. And one of the leaders said to them just a, a few weeks ago, um, why is it, do you think, that Jesus, when he heals people, said, your sins are forgiven before anything else. And she said, well, I guess that uh, they knew that you could be healed by a doctor or medicines if you were blind or if you had a physical ailment, but actually there was nowhere else for them to go to mend mend a soul. There was nowhere else for them to go to mend a soul. I thought, well, that's a very wise statement uh, from one of our, our young people, that actually we know that all the self-help books in the world, all the things that you and I have tried, and I know I tried many of them in my years of wilderness, really trying to find this freedom. And, and the thing that actually really, really showed me the love of Jesus was through people, through people accepting me as I was, loving me, and actually helping me mend, not necessarily judging me, but actually showing me the beauty of this righteousness. That actually, so then you crave it, 
you crave it with everything in you. Uh, I think, I don't know how much of the news you've caught recently, but when I was uh, writing and preparing for this talk a couple of weeks ago, the two headlines on the same day were one, gun crime, Donald Trump says it will be solved by teachers arming up and tooling up and actually having guns. And that is the leader of the free world, ladies and gentlemen. And on the other side, we had the death of Billy Graham, who said, please don't be sad when you hear of my death. I will simply have changed address. And I think when you juxtapose those, whatever your political stance on that, when you juxtapose that, who is more free? Is the free world really free? You know, from the Garden of Eden onwards, we've said, actually, we'll make our own mind up. We'll have freedom of speech. We'll have freedom of this. We'll have freedom to do what we want. And the law has traveled with us east of Eden. So are we free? Because it seems to me that someone like Billy Graham <laughs> is way more free. Now he definitely is, isn't he? But actually, when he was able to say that, because we live for a world beyond this one. And he had that confidence, not that he was a super gooper good guy, but actually that he actually had a clean heart because of the gospel of Jesus every day available to each of us. So we believe we do have some good news for you here at Riverside on this morning. And that is to say that actually you can be and have an invitation to be free from slavery. And I think there are two ways I'd like us to respond before we come to communion. One is we all put little chains back if we're honest, don't we? I know I do. I became a Christian, by the way, singing the words to that hymn we sang earlier on. I had a bit of a moment, I have to confess. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. And I hadn't been able to cry when I became a Christian for four years. Some of you who know me well won't believe that, but that was true. So actually, my chains falling off and my heart being free, something happened supernaturally that said that the anger that I'd built up in my heart it, it didn't go overnight, but something of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, touched my heart. And actually, I love that, that I woke the dungeon flooded with light, flamed with light. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's might. And we're all fast bound in sin, apart from the freedom that Jesus Christ brings. So it may be that you want to respond to that today and just say, I'm not sure I've ever grasped that this freedom is for me, that I can be forgiven. Or it may be that you know that you just put some of that chain of shame back around your heart and, and don't accept the freedom that we have. Galatians says, do not go back to the slavery, but know that you are free. One of my prayers for me as a woman of God has always been, since I've been a Christian, has been to be a woman of a free and light spirit, to not be weighed down, to have a free and light spirit within me. And that comes because I know that I really need the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I need his forgiveness daily, hourly, as do we all. So shall we stand together? Uh, stand with me and I'm going to pray a prayer for us on behalf of all of us. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to set us free, that your very name means rescuer, that you've rescued us from a life of shame, a life 
where we thought we had to be good enough, a life where we thought we had to be on a moral tightrope, to actually an abundance of grace. And you say to us today, if you're bad enough for me, if you know you need this grace, it's available to every person here. We just say, Jesus, please take this shame from me. I confess my sins to you. I'm truly, truly sorry for everything that I've done to offend your spirit, to offend your people, to hurt your people. We are truly sorry, Lord. We thank you that on the cross, your very word showed us your heart when you said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And Lord, we accept that forgiveness again today. And we want to be people of a holy, pure heart to please you in partnering with your Holy Spirit, to transform us daily, to be people of free and light spirits who walk closely with you Lord, if there's anyone here who feels like they're watching a party from the outsides, where perhaps the, the weight of their shame says they can't join in, I pray, Lord, that you would just lead them to pray with someone, to share with someone, to even come and pray during communion, that they would know this freedom, as I did as a 19-year-old for the first time, and that they would confess that you are Lord of their life. Thank you, Jesus, God of grace and mercy.